Hi, this is Kathy St. George. I like to talk about my body. I don't know about my work. I try to do as little of that as possible. I make everyone else look beautiful. In fact, I'm really a man. You're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. In in the midst of economic confusion and tryptophan poisoning, it's TalkCast 209 here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, brought to you by Leftover Turkey, because there's nothing better the day after Thanksgiving than Leftover Turkey, which we're about to find out. Well, Do technically, it's two days after that's correct. Deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 14 uh, due north slidewalk adjacent to the Buffy and Faith Slayer Sisters thrill ride, I Am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are some of the usual suspects because we're taping on an odd night tonight. Normally we tape on a Thursday night and we forgot to tell Cam, so Cam's not even in the in the uh, peanut gallery no, tonight. We, we totally forgot to tell Cam. <laughs> so sorry, Cam, buddy. Uh, Cam, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going to have to just... He's going to show up tomorrow night and be like, what the fuck? I'm going to have to... I'm going to actually have to email him tonight. <laughs> I feel very badly about this. Joining the suspects are tonight our usual talk cast people. No. Joining the talk cast tonight are the usual suspects. That's how that works. Joining the uh, suspects tonight? Is that what you said? That's exactly what I said. Wow. Um, unfortunately, uh, our... our uh, what? Who? Yes. When? Our, Where? Our, Why? Timey wimey? It's, I don't know where he gets that. Anyway. Can you do uh, this without talking like a child or waving your hands? Evidently not. Um... <laughs> uh, the dead redhead could not be with us tonight due to a previous commitment, otherwise known as it's her night to brine the turkey. So joining the talk cast tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, our, si our silent soundboard vixen? No, that would never work. <laughs> our violent soundboard vixen, president of technicalness, potentially acerbic, oddly sarcastic, or sarcastically odd, you decide, Kriana. It's dyslexia day here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It is. Oh, dog, oh, dog, what will I do? From the stacks of her personal silence zone in the Dank Dungeon Reading Room, staff writer for Happy Times Robot Review E-Zine, uh, the E-Zine for mechs everywhere. Check it out at your E-News stand whenever you can. When she remembers to unmute herself, she can be interesting and verbose. It's time to be interesting. It's the Zombrarian. So, during the pre-show, Dome was joking about some people who forget to unmute themselves. And I told him to stuff it, and I was muted. So I would like to say it on the record right now. Stuff it! <laughs> yeah, you totally just disemboweled your point right there. Yeah, I think so. But that's okay. 
You know, I, I can live with the pain. I can live with the agony. Our guest tonight is author that we met at Granite Con. Is author? Did you forget an article there? I did. It would be usually an <laughs> Is and. English your second language all of a sudden? No, what it's is actually, going I'm on? Uh, I, I, I'm fluent in Are you having a stroke? <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. It's although it's incredibly possible at this <laughs> Joining wow. us for the show tonight is author J.S. Moore and Jeff. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. You're welcome. And I can't believe that you stuck through this crappy opening, and now you're going to actually hang with us. Um, yeah, I'm used to having an editor, so I, I'm a little bit forgiving of uh, edit, of uh, mistakes made on the fly. Uh, we should. Yeah, well, we're we're going to do the best we can on the fly because that's all we can do at this point, Lord knows. Well, it has been um, a really, really interesting week for a lot of reasons. Uh, first reason being uh, our last con of the season as as a group was this past weekend in Framingham, Massachusetts at a, a convention called Super Mega Fest. And we have a, a number of things we want to talk about about Super Mega Fest. Because uh, it was one of the oddest, and at the same time, coolest shows we've been to in a while. Very odd. Really? Coolest? What? Really? It had some really good things going for it. Yeah. My opinion is, if you had taken Super Mega Fest and put it in the venue where... Boston Comic Con is where Rhode Island Comic Con is. Basically, it, any other slightly bigger venue. It would have been good, but the problem was they. For those of you who did not get a chance to be awesome and go like us, um, it was a hotel, and there were these warrens and labyrinths of tiny rooms and hallways, and there were tables everywhere and artists everywhere and guests doing signings just all over the place and it was absolutely packed you couldn't yeah, I mean, stop at some tables because it was just so crowded that the crowd just you couldn't kind of stop at a lot of tables <laughs> because there was just no room i mean i mean it was like salmon going upstream to spawn yeah if the same content have been in a different venue, I think that it would have been an amazing show. Well, here, here's another thing. I think their venue got them. I think it would have been pretty good. I'm not sure well, here, it would have distinguished itself all that much. I disagree. Did Dome just die? He pontificated himself into a black hole. I think so. What would make you say that? The fact that you stopped talking in the middle of a sentence? I actually haven't stopped talking. This is Skype screwing with me right now. That's what they all say. I mean, literally, when we left at 2 o'clock to go grab something to eat, there were still people lined around the building trying to get in. So, I mean, the venue was clearly too small. And while we were in there, it was as tight as tightly packed a con as I've ever been in, I think. And we've been in some pretty tight ones. We that have. sounds really bad. Yeah, and I'm glad you said it and not me. 
<laughs> and the area where they had uh, autographs and celebrities was so weirdly put together. It was very weird. There was no celebrity pen. No, well, there was, but it was part of a room with lines going in any which direction they chose. Yeah, and it was some just kind of, they were just out there. And some people were blocked completely by lines for other people. And Eliza Dushku's uh, table was oddly empty. What's up with that? No, it wasn't empty. Well, I mean, she was, no, there was no line for her. There was no one in the VIP line. One of those huge lines that we had to cut through to... I don't think uh, one of those was for her, because it was... Yeah, one of those was the general line for her. I think that was for Elvira. I think you're wrong, because there were at least three lines there. Hmm. And some of them were talking about it seeing Eliza Dushku, so either they were in the wrong place, or you are incorrect. Well, every time I walked by her, she wasn't talking to anyone. Hmm. And the three times we walked past Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, she wasn't there. Yet she had a line. Yeah, that was odd. So, the cool thing was, of all the people we could get some time with, the one that we really wanted was Carol Spinney. Now explain to the youngins who that is. For those of you who were just born yesterday, Carol Spinney works for the Children's Television Workshop and Jim Henson's uh, uh, company. Henson's the Creature, Studios? Is it the Creature Works? Creature Studios? No, he works for... He's a Muppeteer. He's Keep a Muppeteer. Going. And his two characters are Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. And I've got to tell you, as cool as that is, uh, it was even cooler just to sit and talk to him for five minutes, which we did. And Six minutes, even. What, did it go that long, really? Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it, I think it's funny that you can sit down with a porn star, one of the hotties from Battlestar Galactica, and you'll spend, like, two minutes. But Carol Spinney, six minutes. Well, he and there's a so reason for that. Interesting and genuine and down to earth. And Dom could think of questions because he didn't have boobs. Fact. There might be some of that involved as well. Yeah, there might. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, it was so interesting to talk to somebody who has been doing the job that he's been doing for forty years. And that's what he's done. He's been Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and worked with a lot of the Muppets for since the opening of the Children's Television Workshop in 1969. So the other major thing that happened this we- weekend... Yes? And, and part of the reason everyone was so hyper at Super Mega Fest, I believe, is because, <clears throat> you know me, I was all doctored out as per usual, but it was a very special Saturday. It was. It was for the for all the Doctor Who fans and fanatics. What was going on? It was, in fact, the day of the Doctor. The day of the Doctor. Explain to those who do not know what Doctor Who is, or did not see the day of the Doctor, uh, what it actually means. The funny part was that 
as we were leaving, people were stopping us and asking, are you going to go watch it now? And if so, are you coming back and can you tell us what it's about? Yes, no, no. <laughs> so... Well, Dome, in 1963, the BBC premiered a show about an alien <laughs> who travels through space and time to fight the powers of evil. Uh-huh. He's a force for good in an otherwise uncertain universe. And that person would have been Doctor Who. No, no, just the Doctor. It's just the Doctor. What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You really are stroking out tonight. Continue, Zombarian. I don't know any more of the song. Oh, I thought you had it in front of you. No! That's how good it was. That's how good it was. Um, Craig Ferguson... Anyway, the whole point of Doctor Who is the triumph of intellect and romance over brute force and cynicism. And oh boy, did we get that in spades. And we got it with two doctors we knew and the introduction... Of a doctor that had never been seen before. Well, except for in that last episode, but we won't talk about that. Right, that doesn't really count. It totally counts. Essentially called the War Doctor. Or 8.5, or, you know, 9, and then you bump everyone else up 1, or David Tennant up 2, which makes (laughs) Matt Smith 13. 13, which doesn't really work, but that's okay. It totally works. Wait, why do you bump David Tennant up 2? Because uh, he used another regeneration. Oh, right! You know, we're getting into such niggling little points here. Well, I, I think there's a reason for it, because they're they're going to do something next season. At the very begin, or not even next season, in the uh, Christmas special, the Doctor's going to Transalore, and... Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get a resolution, and we're gonna get an extension. So, I mean, there's no fucking way they're killing it. They've said this. Um, and they've said that this is happening. Um, so, but speaking of spoiler alert, now, yes. oh, okay, spo- if you haven't seen the day of the doctor, first of all, kill yourself. Second of all, or go it. watch it. And third of all, probably should just kind of mute this for the next couple of minutes because we're going to spoiler alert the hell out of it. Yes, we are. So, like I was saying before, Kriana interrupted me. Mm-hmm. Speaking well, we of, have to we have to properly notify them of spoilers. That is true. So now that she's interrupted me twice or three times, stop! It's annoying. <laughs> um, speaking of tiny niggling little things in about Doctor Who, mm-hmm. BuzzFeed had a truly amazing list. Every once in a while. BuzzFeed will come out with something that is actually really interesting and phenomenal. And they had a list of 35 of the best Easter eggs from the Day of the Doctor. And for those of you who don't know what an Easter egg is... Kill yourself. Go watch Blink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's little nods that they put in... um, Little to, gifts to people who are paying attention. People who are paying attention. So so I feel like we should each pick our favorite one off this list of 35 things. Oh, good lord. Um, and that is that is difficult, but I think my favorite is the uh, return of the device that goes ding when there's stuff. <laughs> In a lot of the... The TARDIS has been re-imaged 
by each of the 13 doctors and has changed and evolved as I believe John Hurt called it redecorated. I don't like uh, it. David <laughs> Tennant called it redecorated, Did but he? I'll forgive you. Thank you. Well, several people have called it that, but. And yeah, one of the coolest things was whenever there's something going on, you, in a lot of them, you heard this thing go ding and they brought it back, which was kind of cool. Yeah, they, they called back to a lot of old or really old stuff, and they called back to a lot of stuff that was, you know, just seven years ago it, to, yeah. a, to a show where that's, you know, literally, literally one, not even one-fifth of its past. So, Dome, what, which one is your favorite? Well, there's... there's uh... Pick one. Yeah, okay, here it is. For the past, since since the new regenerations, which began with Chris Eccleston, uh, there have been constant jokes that made no sense about Queen Elizabeth. This is true. Um, we found out in Day of the Doctors that Queen Elizabeth was actually married to the Doctor. At one point. He totally married her. He totally married her, and it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense of all the jokes that were made over the past seven years. It was absolutely... You sat there at that point, and you just kind of went, no way. And it was it was a great reveal, and I really enjoyed and, and it. And Doctor Who went, way. Way. Kriana? I already did mine. Kriana did hers. Oh. Ding when there's stuff. That's Ding when there's stuff. So my very favorite was is my favorite because I actually turned to Kriana in the middle of this scene and went, did you see it? Did you see it? It was there. Um, in the art gallery, at the very end, there's an art piece on the wall um, that is identical to the wall decorations on Tom Baker's TARDIS. Oh, nice. Which they mentioned, and they mentioned the round things when they were talking about redecorating. Yes, they did. Um, and the round things were in Tom Baker's TARDIS, and then they showed up again on the wall of the art gallery. Yep, that's Which true. I thought was awesome and adorable. <sighs> The whole thing was amazing. You know how whenever some something like this rolls around and they're going to make a big to-do about something, you always just prepare to be disappointed because it never lives up. And not this time. No. They, I, I'm literally not sure what else they could have done better. Um, what they could have done better? Not much. Not much. Uh, I mean, they snuck in references to most of the characters who weren't there. Yeah, you even heard the face of Bo. Yep. You are not alone. Actually, he showed up twice. And um, another thing I really liked was that even though Chris Eccleston turned them down, and even though they kind of had to write around him for this special, they did it in a really... I think, smooth way where you could look at it and say, yes, I see where they were writing around Chris Eccleston deciding he didn't want to be in this 
Um, By the way, he's a douche who loves fun. Oh, no, he hates, hates fun. fun. He hates, hates fun. He's balls. Um, Basically, he's balls. <laughs> I think, you know, the final thing that worked really, really well is at the very end of it when they brought everything to this beautiful resolution. There's this marvelous ending photograph. Uh, it's actually not a photograph. I, I do believe in there, there's probably some live action in it as well of all of the doctors this marvelous flying V that is just so beautiful and Peter Capaldi's eyes actually yeah. Peter Capaldi isn't in there no he's not because he's not the doctor yet yes he is he was right there <laughs> anyway we should probably get this moving so, they actually showed this in a whole bunch of theaters. They did. I'm glad I didn't go to a theater because, let me tell you, like, we had to pause a bunch of times so that Zombarian and I could just calm down. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? We, we hyperventilated a bit and then we calmed down. But we needed, we needed to just, just take a minute. Take a beat. I can't imagine that watching it in a, in a theater would have been a... Uh, a great experience. It would have been an interesting experience, but not necessarily a great one. But uh, I mean, it grossed four and a half, four point eight million, just in the United States at what? Uh, just at the U.S. box offices, yeah. And this was That's this the is the live I, simulcast. Yeah, and this this television simulcast was the second highest grossing movie of the day on Saturday. It was just barely behind The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Just barely. Which I think is kind of amazing. Screw Catching Fire. I can say that because I'm Brian's on the phone. I am not. Shit. <laughs> nice try. I tried. So I mean, you know, that was that was uh, quite an event and, and quite well done, uh, brilliantly acted, uh, wonderfully scripted. I mean, it was truly worthy of a fiftieth anniversary special. Here, here. And and how many shows? How many television shows get to run for fifty years? Pretty much Doctor Who. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. How long has The Simpsons been going on? <laughs> no, it only feels that long. It does feel that long because it's just <laughs> so shitty. <sighs> <sighs> anyway, to continue. Yeah, what else we got going on? Uh, well, Pete Holmes is apparently a fan of the show. And what would make you say that? Well, because we're big fans of his X-Men series where... Um, <laughs> Where he, he comically fires very useless X-Men. But where am I from? <laughs> if you don't understand that, go watch the Wolverine one. It's hysterical. Oh my goodness. It is and fun. we were talking last week about which X-Men we would like to see get fired. And we pretty much settled on Jubilee. We did. So last weekend, I'm surfing around the internet and I'm like, I wonder if he's put out any more. Come to find out. He's put out two more, and one of them is, is Jubilee. And it's hilarious. 
Professor X sitting there firing Jubilee is possibly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. She's really useless, to be fair. <laughs> oh, seriously, what are you going to do? Dazzle them with fireworks? That's what you do? They're fireworks. They're fireworks. Call them what they are. <laughs> so, Pete, once again, we are extending an invitation to you to join us on the show. We know that you're listening because clearly you just took our advice and did that. So, good for you. Um, there's a there's a bit of Tolkien in the news this week. Um, oh, we're going to Tolkien, are we? Oh, yeah. Okay. We have to. We have to. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's all yours we're Going to Tolkien. You know, you know what a fan I am. <laughs> Tolkien. Go ahead. Just shows what taste you have. Careful. Let's it's not go there. Tolkien. Well, Google started a new Chrome experiment, which tours Middle Earth from an eagle's point of view, basically. And there are points of interest in there, and you can sort of pan and scroll and zoom in a, this like 3D map. And there are some points of interest marked where you can go and browse through these beautiful graphics of of what's there, such as Rivendell. It's so pretty, and they're animated and gorgeous. Go check it out. It's really, really, really adorable, whether you're going to see the next Hobbit film or not. And the second little bit of uh, fun times was they're working, somebody, Fox Searchlight and Churnin Entertainment are developing a screenplay that is a Tolkien biopic. Seriously? Seriously. Okay. So So it's just going to sort of look into how he came up with um, his world that he has built. And um, who would they get to play Tolkien? Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just job. thinking, like, <laughs> seriously, oh, who does? That should be our poll for next week. Yeah. Who, who, should pl- who do you think should play Tolkien? Because, like, I've... Nicholas Cage. I have, I have a, I have a few. <laughs> Peter Capaldi. No. Peter Capaldi is actually John Hurt is actually one of them, he, and now I'm gonna forget the other person's name, but he's amazing. So the last bit of news that I want to go through before uh, we we move on to our poll tonight is that George Takei has come out with a perfume. It come out. <laughs> Which is aptly named, oh my. It's funnier if you see it written. Yes. I I think I pronounced it correctly so that you could get it, but maybe not. No? Well, actually, that can't be our last, our last. What's our last news, then? You have three minutes. Go, go, go. Shut, shut, shut. Go, go. Okay. How do you know a ghost hunter is a moron? When they burn down the house, they're investigating. Ta-da! Nailed Bye. it! <laughs> <laughs> kind of did nail it. Let's put it this way. You know, it gets to be really sad when the house that you're investigating gets burned down by the paranormal investigators. But what they did was uh, they destroyed a <laughs> 160-year-old plantation. Well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Go ahead. The good news is your house isn't haunted. <laughs> the bad news is... It no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm bad. I'm so bad. <laughs> uh-huh. <sighs> it's 
they had been smarter ghost hunters, they would have claimed that it was haunted, and that's what it took to get rid of the ghosts. Yeah, they, that would have been a smart way to do it. My question is this. Now, we know... Do actually, we? a good, you, a good friend of ours' husband is a paranormal investigator. Really? Who? Yes. Who? I have to know so I can immediately stop being friends with them. <laughs> I'd be very careful of that. Who? Tell me who. <laughs> and I'll tell you if I forgive them or not. You will absolutely forgive them. Who is it? Tell me. Nathan Schoonover. Yeah, I guess I have to forgive him. <laughs> now, now, the reason the reason I know he's not a fake is because... He's never seen a ghost? He <laughs> will immediately say, no, these guys are fakes, this is, su- this is stupid, this is silly, this is weird, this is ridiculous. So you like him because he throws other ghost hunters under the bus? Absolutely, I do. Oh, okay, just just making sure we have that straight here. Should be thrown under the bus because you know if you watch like you know Ghost Hunters International on the Siffy Channel, a chair moved. Ah! Exactly. Sorry. I mean, an entire season and a, a chair moved. Maybe, kinda. So I mean, here we are, and it's it's bad enough that these people are actually you know making money in a way not unlike driving the mystery machine to the haunted mansion but <laughs> they take a national monument a national uh, 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 a home that's on the historic register and burn it to the ground by mistake <sighs> that's just sad so what was the poll this week doom there was a poll this week there was poll and the poll was if you could go to any sci-fi school, where would you wish to go most of all? And we had a number of really, really good answers to the poll this week. Some of them that got, you know, a couple of votes uh, was uh, Predonian Academy, where the doctor uh, went to school on Gallifrey, which I thought was great. Uh, the Jedi Academy, Dr. Xavier School, Ms. Robichaux School. Uh, were also mentioned, but the top three in uh, order of uh, loser to winner were <laughs> coming in third was Miskatonic University, uh, where stuff happens. Okay, if you don't know where that is, kill yourself. Kill yourself, exactly. <laughs> or coming get a better second. education, I guess. <laughs> Go to another school. Yeah, you, you need to clearly have a new school. And that school would be number two, which would be Starfleet Academy. That's what I would pick. But number one, the overwhelming winner was, care to guess? Hogwarts. Yeah, pretty much. Wait, wait, you know why I would want to go to Starfleet Academy? Because Because they would totally emotionally abuse you by ordering you to kill people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, seriously. Does anyone else get how abusive that is to their students? Like, these are kids! Yeah, that's kind of the way it works when you're in a a war academy. You kill people. That's No, 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 no. You don't just kill enemies. You order your best friend to their deaths. How do you get that? As part it wasn't that part of their like command scenario in their command track? I vaguely remember this. I remember no. this. Yes. I think 
looking that up. That was in a Next Generation episode, if I remember correctly. It's only for Commanders. Yeah, see? So I am not making this up. Jeff concurs. I am not making this up. This totally happened. Next Generation, yeah, by the way, like Jeff. Without killing people. Next Generation is the only one that counts. <laughs> <laughs> there are no others. What are you talking about? Uh, they, yeah. they named it the Next Generation ironically. No, I doubt that completely. <laughs> Which brings us That's to... my story, and I'm sticking to it. And you're sticking to it, yeah. You've already stuck to it, I think, is the problem. I'm sticky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when we were at Panacon, we met Jeff Morin, who writes fantasy. He's a world builder, essentially. And within that world that he builds... He puts together marvelous stories. And he was in the middle of, at that point, actually just having put the final touches on book three of the Twinborn trilogy when we met him. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, you say that now. No. <laughs> Don't be a jerk to the guest, Dome. I'm trying not to be. So, careful. So, Jeff, talk a little bit because. This is something that I have a lot of problems understanding how you make this work because you're actually building an entire universe for this Twinborn trilogy. How did that come about? Well, the, the seed of it really came from waking up from a dream. And I think everyone's done this where you remember that it was a dream, but at the time you were convinced it was real. And I started wondering, you know, what if it was? What if there's a whole other world in there? And that person that you are in the dream, that's an actual other person. And I flipped it around and said, well, what if when they fall asleep, they dream my life? And it all really started from there. So I started taking the, the concept and thinking, well, what would happen if you could see into another world? What if it had different rules from your own? You know, people there knew about magic or more advanced technology. And then I started with, uh, with Kairos and Branis, the two characters who are the, the main characters of the Twinborn trilogy. Uh, Kairos is in a world where they're sort of in a renaissance enlightenment. No one really believes in magic. They sort of, you know, they view it as a superstition like we would. And Branis is from a world where magic is very real. It's sort of a medieval period where uh, sorcerers are a part of daily life, you know, be feared and respected. And what if they were connected and you, they could see into each other's worlds? And from there, I just started taking, you know, all the consequences that I could envision falling out of a world where not everyone has that ability, but certain people uh, are aware of another world and how they would all individually uh, exploit and take advantage of that. So in the first book, Fire Hurler, you're really following Branis and Kairos as they sort of stumble into that realization. The, uh, the waking up and things that you remember from your dream actually work. You know, stumbling onto to magic that you remember doing, but yeah, it shouldn't really work in this world. What's going on here? And, and sort of the whirlwind of uh, misadventures that fall out of mistakenly bringing magic into a world that doesn't really want it there. So it's a mistaken intersection of essentially two different universes through these yeah. two characters. Yes. Okay. And 
where it really goes from there is the realization that you know maybe you're not maybe you're not really crazy, and also maybe you're not the only one who has this going on. Uh, where there's actually an adversary who has a similar connection, but is much further down the road, has explored this more thoroughly and started taking some advantage of that in both worlds. Yes, this is a... As, as I'm reading it, and I must admit, I'm nowhere near as far along as I want to be. <laughs> but... <laughs> And, and that, to me, is driving me crazy because I want to see how badly these things interact and I just keep getting little, you know, slaps and pokes at it. You know what I'm saying? No, oh, yep. never say that again, Dome. Oh, thank you, Kriana. No, you just leave, keep your slaps and pokes to yourself, okay? Thank you so much. Yikes. Well, the, uh, the first book is really a, a sort of a very personal confrontation and uh, right. uh, discovery. As you progress throughout the series, um, you start getting little views of how much further this whole phenomenon extends, how other people have taken advantage of it to, you know, form alliances, uh, you know, conduct espionage between worlds, uh, and all the, the people who either have knowledge of it or have influenced the worlds through it. Uh, and you, you see little hints uh, between the two worlds of similarities and things that shouldn't have really been there, but uh, developed in parallel anyway. Interesting. So how long did it take you to flesh out and actually put word to paper to get this trilogy out? How long have you been working on it? Uh, well, let's see. It's a little bit of a complicated question because I started working on it about 12 years ago. But okay, that's you know, I, well, <laughs> but, but see, I, but see, I put it aside for a while. Um, didn't really consider myself a writer. I started on a lark, uh, wrote maybe the first eight or ten chapters, and you know, one thing led to another, and I, I set it aside for a while. Didn't look at it for ages. Uh, when my wife picked it up and started reading through it, she said, you, "You've got to finish this." I, so what I did is I went back, I rewrote the uh, the, the chapters that I'd written ages ago. And I'd say that, uh, you know, the the, uh, the writing of the three different books, I'd say it probably averaged about uh, four months per uh, per manuscript. Just just the uh, the writing part. It doesn't include all the, you know, going back and forth with an editor who uh, who thinks I can't write English and, you know, <laughs> getting all that into things straightened out. You, you uh, readers are so lucky to see the finished product and not the stuff that my editor sees. Oh, Lord, that is the case with virtually every writer. Writers yeah. who don't use editors are really beating us about the head with it. Um, yeah. So when, when you were writing the first volume, did you have in your mind at that point that this was going to be a trilogy? Yeah, I, I knew from fairly early on when I developed the concept uh, where I would take the second and third books. I think uh, a lot of people who get into writing epic fantasy really start with a start in mind and not an end in mind. Uh, and that's where you get some of these, you know, 10, 14 book trilogies, however long, uh, <laughs> where, where from one book to the next, you never know quite how long the series is going to be. This was really always uh, plotted out as a trilogy. That's kind of interesting. I wonder why, I wonder why it happened that way. What, what, was your, what was your thinking in putting it together that 
you, you know, as you're working through this first volume going, it's going to be three because... I said Well, so. I, I had sort of inflection points or points where the, the story would really take a turn. And the sort of the way I envisioned it in my head really did break well into three parts. And so that's kind of where I drew the line. I wasn't going to let myself get caught on the trap of just continuing to generate, you know, one enemy is defeated, or now we've got the next thing, and, and the next, and the next. I wanted to, to at least know where my end game was for for this plot, for this overall arc. That's so, um, how about Goodreads? Because you were named one of the best indie fantasy books worth a read on Goodreads. Can, can yep, you tell us about uh, interacting with people on Goodreads and how you're using it to sort of promote? Well, the interesting thing about Goodreads is that they're, well, at least until Amazon bought them, and so far since then, <laughs> uh, there's no commercial side to it. It's all uh, user-generated, user-curated. Uh, it's readers talking to other readers, and writers are kind of blunted along with them, because I read fantasy too. So... This isn't generated by, you know, a publicist or, you know, someone's marketing department. This is, you know, uh, readers came together. Someone decided to put together a list where people could recommend indie fantasy books to each other. And uh, I was fortunate enough that a lot of people voted for mine in there, which is, you know, really helpful when you're just starting out and not a lot of people have heard of you, to have that sort of social validation of other people saying, yeah, I've read this. Yes, it's worth reading. And uh, I think that's really been helpful for me. Well, it's interesting because a lot of, uh, I want to say fan-driven websites, but Goodreads really isn't that. Um, You know, I have a tendency to just troll the hell out of uh, writers. You know, it's like, you suck, you're horrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, the typical internet. I don't think Goodreads does that. No, it doesn't. No, they don't do it at all, and I'm just, and, and I think as, as writers, uh, places like Goodreads and Smashwords, places like that, uh, you know, give you that kind of uh, open accessibility between reader and writer. Goodreads, I think, has like an unspoken policy of like it's fine not to like things, but you're not allowed to be a dick about it. Which, which is better than a spoken policy to that effect, because it yeah. means they haven't needed to speak the policy yet. Right? Does that make sense? It does to yeah. me, yeah. yeah I also think we, that... We won't break the rules then until someone breaks them. Yeah, exactly. Well, well more like it's a, it's a socially enforced norm, and not necessarily a, we're going to kick you off the site and be jackholes about this. It's more, you know, if you're being an asshole, someone takes you aside and says, hey, you're being an asshole, and that's really not cool, and no one's going to talk to you or read your books if you keep going this way, and then they take it to heart. Well, and yeah. in the reader comments, um, since the users of the site are all readers themselves, they know good writing, and there seems to be in the reviews and comments sections a real drive from the users themselves to create content that is useful. I would totally agree with that. They, yeah. they so, want to take the books that they're passionate about and share that passion with other people. 
So on the one hand, you never get, oh my gosh, this sucks, and no reasons. And, and similarly, you never get, oh my gosh, I love this book, it's the best ever, and no reason. There's, every comment is like a short English essay almost, and I find them fascinating to read, there's even really, when I disagree with them. There's really a good drive towards constructiveness because uh, yeah. I mean people can say you know I didn't enjoy this book but then here and here's why and it's either you know sometimes it's just a style thing you're just not gonna like the style of every single author it's just not gonna happen and that's fine and the why is the important and, part. and sometimes it's you know newer authors and they while they're producing worthwhile stories maybe stylistically they need a little help and they can sort of get that in a safe environment. The other thing Goodreads really fosters is a, a, a habit of rating and reviewing when you're finished something. Because what's the first thing you do when you sign up for Goodreads? They ask you to start rating books that you've read. Yep. You know, they, they don't start you off with, you know, okay, well, you can, you're good to go. They, they want you to, to tell them, I think it is 50 books that you've read and what you thought about them so they can start recommending stuff to you. And when you go through that process, you start really thinking about, well, okay, what's a five-star for me? What's a four-star? You know, and coming out of that, you start thinking maybe a little bit more critically about some of the stuff you have read. And when you start reading all these reviews from people, there's a little bit of a, a, maybe not a competitive edge to it, but an expectation of uh, what, people are really looking for in a review on Goodreads. Maybe more of an aspiration. Yeah, I mean, you have the example out there in front of you of this is what people on Goodreads are doing for reviews. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think you're right about the way, the way that Goodreads has their whole process set up drives you to begin thinking more creatively. And then once you see what's out there, you, you take it to the next logical step. For sure, for sure. And their recommendation engine is fantastic. And if you don't like their recommendation engine, my favorite part is where you can go in and there are random uh, questions from people who will say things like, I liked these three books and I'm looking for something in the same kind of style but about this. Does anybody know of a book like that? And if you do, you can tell them. And it's great. It's, you're doing, as a librarian, I love that you're doing reader advisory um, in part because you can say, oh, there's this indie book. And you won't see it if you're browsing a bookstore shelf. You won't see it maybe if you're browsing Amazon. But I can personally say that it is just like what you read and enjoyed. And you should check it out. And it's I don't know. And frankly, those sort of suggestions <laughs> carry a lot more weight than any other type. There we go. Thank you for finishing my thought for me. You're welcome. <laughs> are, are you being sarcastic? Are you mad at me? Or No, I'm actually serious. That was actually what I was trying to say, and then I was thinking about not cutting my fingers off. Oh, well, I would appreciate it if you didn't do that. I kind of like them. Yeah, I know. Me too. So, Jeff... You wrote the three books. You said, this is a trilogy. This is all we're going to do. This is the three books. And then you ended up doing a prequel. Well, the, uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of independent authors struggle with is a way to get people to take a look at their work. 
Right. And one of the things I thought of would be a, a great sort of low-risk way for people to get an introduction would be to write a short story that was you know, outside of the trilogy itself. It would be a little prequel. It uh, would neither spoil anything nor uh, be required to, uh, to enjoy the books, but it would be a self-contained story where if you get a, a, a sense of, you know, both by writing style and a little bit of a, a feel for the world, without A, having to pay anything, or B, having to read the introductory chapter. You, know, you can get a free sample of pretty much any book on Amazon, Right, so you're starting at chapter one of a you know four or five hundred page book. You're not going to get a lot into that. Now, maybe that's a teaser, or maybe that's just you know a pacing issue. But I think you get a lot more out of reading an entire short story than reading the first chapter or two of the book. So what you did was take this short story called Warbringer and drop yep. it onto Amazon as a free download. Yep, it's uh, permanently free. Anyone who wants to uh, to get a, a sneak preview of what the Twinborn trilogy might be like, they can pick it up with no risk. Take a, a you know sixty seven hundred, I think, word read through and decide whether they like it and want to see it anymore. What a great idea! What an absolutely great idea! Oh man, I'm so behind on updating my Goodreads. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> man, I know it's just not. You know, as Spider Robinson said, there's just too many hours, you know, too many things and not enough hours. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of a hoarder. I, I have to admit something. I am an ebook hoarder. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, you know what, though? I, I really like books. And, and from the time I was a small, small thing, um, it was it was important to me to be able to bring. Somebody encourage that. It was important to me to bring as many books as physically possible everywhere I went. <laughs> now my dream has literally come true because I have my entire ebook library of like six hundred and something books in Dropbox, <laughs> and I can just load them whenever I want. Or uh, honestly, I could probably fit them all onto the very smallest iPad. And be just fine Probably with that. Good, yeah. So it, it's become sort of now I can collect more than I could ever possibly read and, and not necessarily run out of room to put books or because a fire hazard. Which ones, which ones do I read? And that is why sites like Goodreads are becoming ever more important. Yeah. If there's two things that are growing faster than I will ever take care of them, are my to-be-read pile and my to-be-written pile. Oh, geez. That's not a bad thing. Always to have some stuff in that to-be-written hopper. There's always a that wonderful... That no danger of, uh, of running dry any time this century. And to those listeners out there who have not heard of the Twinborn Trilogy, we're going to send you to Amazon to get uh, Warbringer, which is the prequel. It's a free download. We'll have the link for it. We'll have the link to everything that Jeff has written uh, on Amazon, his website. Some really interesting stuff. A really, really interesting trilogy. Thank you for uh, sitting with us at GraniteCon and talking to us about it. And thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you guys for stopping by my booth. And uh, stop. thank you for uh, having me on. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Oh, and... Uh, that's my cue, isn't it? 
<laughs> I'm fumpering for as long as you I know can what, here. Dome. You know what? Yes. Tell me. I got it eventually. I noticed that. So, Kriana. Okay. Tell us who's going to be on the show for the next couple of weeks or so. Prob yeah. How many do you want? Six? I don't know. Sure. I Let's mean, we go got, we've got scheduled weeks. up pretty far. So, next week, uh, we have author, composer, and all around awesome guy, Rob Watts. Woohoo. On the 14th, we talk to Rob Smales again about his new book, Dead of Winter. On the 21st, legendary designer Tommy Zotos. And on the 28th, Matt Lore and Diane O'Bannon drop in to promote Dan O'Bannon's guide to screenplay structure. And this is the point where I usually say dead redhead, but since she's not here... She's not here, yeah. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by The Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold a Folk, at RobWattsOnline.com. Don't? I want to thank Jeff Morin for joining us tonight. I want to thank uh, our cast who's been here and our cast who's missing tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our Grammar Girls Umbrarian. Thank you so much, ladies. I, I need a sound effect that's just like mic drop. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thanks. Thanks. Everybody, have a marvelous Thanksgiving. Be careful of the tryptophan poisoning. And remember, this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased, thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. <laughs>